We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. It's good to see each one of you here. This is quality and not quantity tonight. Is that right? I remember Tommy when I first came to Denton Bible, uh, 2008 probably on uh, Super Bowl Sunday. He said, uh, it's good to see all of you and I and 13 international students will be at church tonight. And uh, so it's good to see all of you guys, thankful. We never know who is tuning in online. We're very grateful for you guys. And we're coming together to meet in God's Word. There's always something good going to take place. I noticed Becky had uh, your chosen thing on here today. If you watched the, the last of, I believe, season two, it was the anticipation of the Sermon on the Mount, the preparations and the getting ready for all of that. And it ended right there walking ready to speak and so we invite you to come to the mountain come to the mountain tonight in this series very grateful Corey back there thank you so much he did such a great job last week didn't he did wonderfully and I'm thankful for that uh, setting up the the, the setting of uh, Jesus's teaching here we're going to be walking together I'm grateful for him and Chris Cobble that have agreed to to uh, join together with me to unpack Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and just to take a journey back to that mountain. Some of you probably have been to Israel and just north um, and west of the Sea of Galilee was most likely where this took place. And it's almost like an amphitheater in God's creation that he made where you can open up your mouth and speak and you don't need a microphone. It, the, the words carry and just a very beautiful uh, place that we, we want you to return back with us now to that mountain and listen for the voice of Jesus' words as he opens up and he begins to speak about life in the kingdom. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. What I want to do here tonight is to give you a 10,000-foot look at uh, the first 12 verses of what we call this sermon, we call them the Beatitudes. What does that word mean? I want to give you an overview, a kind of a, a snapshot vision, and then we'll walk through those together and look at something beautiful, I hope, as we end. All of it's beautiful. Remember last uh, few weeks ago, by the way, thank you so much for those who prayed for myself and my wife. For these three years, we had escaped all that old ugly virus and just prayed for everyone else and that uh, we thought for some reason God just kept us from getting it and all of a sudden something happened. I blame it on an Amazon box or something coming in the house or I, I don't know. Uh, but the fact that I got it before my wife didn't work out really well because then she could always say, well, you're the one that gave it to me. But we're both doing better and uh, praying, praying for all those that are sick and suffering. Thank you for praying for Galen. Oh, uh, Galen and Paige, they were at church this morning and uh, walking through <clears throat> a tremendous uh, journey of, of uncertainty, pain and disease, and they're walking so faithfully, and I'm so grateful. I want you to know I love Denton Bible Church. I love this place, and uh, uh, it's not perfect because I'm here, but it's sure a good church. You may not have, be a part of the ladies' Bible studies that Becky leads and, and takes care of, join that. Men's Bible studies, they're available all the time. 
We've got the men's conference coming up, as Jarrah said. Come, that's the first thing that I came to at Denton Bible, and, and I was just drawn to this place. We have two seven groups that can get you uh, discipled and growing in your faith. And, and uh, if you haven't been a part of the choir before, Kendall's a, Kendall is, he's a nut. But on the other hand, he's a pastor. And I told him the other day that when I went to the practice there that, uh, that I, I enjoyed the music and enjoyed singing with, uh, with this guy over here and the rest of the crew. But I also watched ministry take place. So I'm just very grateful for Tommy. I'm grateful for the elders. I'm grateful for Denton Bible. Let me uh, remind you a few weeks ago, I talked to you about being so familiar with a passage of Scripture that we check out. We're going to study the 23rd Psalm. Oh, I know that. Uh, we're going to talk about John 3.16. Got it. It's in the football stadium uh, end zones. I, I, I memorized it in the third grade. And we've got to be careful approaching the Scripture that way because these words are alive. They minister to us. And the thousandth time and the ten thousandth time that, that I've read them, they're just as fresh and real. And so God's Word, Jesus said in John 6, 63, these words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. So even though you may be very familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, walk with it with fresh eyes and a fresh heart. And let's see. Now, how do you teach the Beatitudes? It's a list. And you may say, well, we're just going to look at that list. We will, but uh, why is it in a list form? Do we know? What are they there for? One of the things that will become very evident to you, as Corey mentioned last week, and I and Chris will, is that <clears throat> things are changing. When Jesus came as the Messiah, it, he was not what the Jews expected. I think Corey used a, a, a great phrase, the expected, unexpected kingdom. That was good, wasn't it? Because the Jews had a picture of what the Messiah was supposed to be. Some of it was mixed with prophecy of the Old Testament, but a lot of it was mixed with Jewish traditions. They had their own way of thinking. They were so tired of bondage. They had been in bondage for hundreds of years in Egypt. They had been to bondage in, uh, in, in the Roman Empire. They, they were so tired of all of the, the Midianites and all of the rest of the ones allowed to come and over, overtake them that they were longing for the Messiah to come. They were longing for the Messiah to come on a white stallion, a battle stallion, and he came on a little donkey. So this beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is actually a rebuke uh, of the Pharisees. It is saying, you people say, but God says this. Jesus often used that phrase, you have heard but I will tell you. And so look for that as we look at these Beatitudes. It's really a rebuke of uh, the Jewish leaders. If you talk to the Pharisees or Sadducees, they were the ones who claimed to be the voice of God. They were the big dogs. They were the ones that would say, if you want to know about God, about his word, you come to us. And we're going to see that Jesus just turns that upside down. In fact, in the book of Acts, I love that phrase. Jesus and the apostles, the scripture says, they turned the world upside down. Jesus wasn't what they were expecting. Albright and Mann uh, call the Beatitudes the spiritual charter of the kingdom. Jesus is going to be speaking about life in the kingdom. 
I want to make one point uh, before I go any further. This is not an evangelistic passage per se. It is not something you would turn to to share the gospel with someone for the very first time. But before we're through this evening, I, wanna, I just want to encourage you because we'll see something so neat in the way that the Word of God is written. Just hold on to that thought, if you would. We're going to see kingdom ethics. Are ethics common today? Uh, we, we grew up in the generation I grew up in. I still remember all those things my mom and dad taught me. They're right here in my ear. They're in my heart. I remember what my school teachers taught me. We had them on the walls of our school. And yet, uh, and yet today it seems like, and I know every generation looks at the generation following them and think, what in the world has happened? A lot of times we listen to their music and it's not the same kind as we listen to. And we see their their styles and uh, clothing and everything. And that's just, those are just changes that are okay. But ethics are what are God's instructions on how to live. And so that's what you're going to see in this great sermon that Jesus preaches and teaches. I wrote uh, uh, on my notes here, the Beatitudes, let this be my attitude. Let it be my attitude because it's going to be a picture of Christ, the way he lived. Did Jesus practice what he preached? He did, didn't he? So it's going to be a picture of his attitude, the way kingdom life should be. Jesus came to usher in the kingdom, and there'll be a fulfillment of that kingdom as we go further. Um, <clears throat> who was there? It just says it's the crowd, the multitude. We know that Jesus brought 5,000 people together at one time and fed them. He brought 4,000 people together at one time and fed them. Uh, in a large audience like that, there can always be a varied um, people groups in there. There can be people that had heard Jesus for every, uh, since the beginning. As he began to call his disciples and apostles, many of them had heard his teaching from the very beginning. There's probably some that after Jesus did a miracle and healed someone, they began to follow him. Where's Jesus going to be next? I heard about Mary Magdalene. You mean that she is, she's a brand new person. You've got to come see. Where is she? Where's Jesus going to be speaking next? So there's going to be some like that. And then there's going to be some novices. There's going to be people show up. Hey, I heard something was happening here. Heard a little bit about this man named Jesus and we just came to see. Kind of like church, isn't it? There's some that have been faithful. This man that I'll do the graveside, Lord willing, tomorrow afternoon, Kenneth Harper. He was the real deal. He was a faithful, godly, humble, um, just, a, just an amazing man. Not a big man, but a big man. And he loved his Lord. And so uh, I think about him. But I also think about those that have been faithful in this church and churches where you've come from around different places. You've been there year after year, decades maybe. And then there's some that just showed up. Probably the same way the crowd was here. Someone may ask about the significance of why are there eight of them? I don't know. God just uh, let us have eight of them written down. I don't see any significance uh, necessarily with any other list in the Bible. You can compare them with fruits of the Spirit. You can compare them with other things, but probably just because there's eight of them. 
why did he begin this sermon with these? I think that in Jesus' mastery of teaching and preaching, he um, began with his words to prepare the hearts of people for all the rest. There are many topics that he's going to speak through the Sermon on the Mount and about life in the kingdom. And uh, in this beginning, it appears like he's giving them, this should be your attitude as we approach these words. I want you to think about something real quickly. Uh, in these B attitudes, if you're familiar with them, they are two-part statements. There's an attribute at the beginning, or an attitude, and then there's a result or a reward. Let me say that again. There's an attribute or an attitude, and there, then there is, for those who will do that, there is a result and a reward. Kind of sounds like uh, Proverbs often, where the Lord would write something through Solomon that is uh, something good, and here's a result of obey, uh, obeying something good, something bad, and here's a result of judgment for not obeying God's word. We'll see that there's going to be a shift, and I want you to look at it. There's going to be a shift in this, uh, the, this list from the audience at large to you. That's how personal it gets. I remember when I was a young boy, went to what we called a crusade in our football stadium. A man came and preached the gospel, and literally, I'd already come to know Christ, but God really dealt with my life that night. And if you've been in a place before where someone is preaching, teaching God's word, and it literally feels like you're the only one in the room, that the Holy Spirit is working on your life speaking to you personally. And I literally felt like that that night. There were hundreds of people there, but it was like, wow, he is talking to me. We'll see that in this list. Uh, it, is, uh, it has a didactic purpose. It is a teaching lesson, sermon. We are to learn from it. Uh, there's special emphasis on Jesus, uh, all through the Gospel of Matthew. That's one of the things that Matthew did, was to uh, uh, magnify Christ as the Son of Man. <clears throat> he was speaking, uh, as we would here today, to honor and lift up the name of Jesus. Uh, in the book of Matthew, there's about five different sections. You're probably very familiar with it. Uh, Sermon on the Mount is one. The, the uh, instructions to the twelve, the disciples, is another section. Then there's the parables. There are uh, life in the Christian community, and then there is about the end times, eschatological judgment of Matthew chapters 23 through 25. It's interesting, <clears throat> in those five groups of texts, five sections of the book of Matthew, they all end the section in a similar way. When Jesus had finished saying these things, as the Holy Spirit wrote that through Matthew, it is just beautifully put together. Five different sections of Matthew, and each one would end, and Jesus had finished saying these things. So let's look at this. Matthew chapter 5, please. Walk through this list, and let's see what God might speak to us from his word. When Jesus saw the crowds... We don't know how many people there were. That hillside, that place in uh, Jerusalem, north of the Sea of Galilee, would hold a lot of people. 
He went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Where are they? They are on a mountain. If you've studied your Gospels, you realize that much of Jesus' life takes place on a mountain. Jesus would leave his disciples after they, he had worked so hard and he had shared and he had healed and he had gone without eating and drinking for a long time and he would go to the mountain. Why did he do that? He got alone with his father and he prayed. Uh, where I used to live was a rural setting and I could go out in the country all the time and, and I, I miss that because I don't necessarily have that right here. But I could get in my pickup and drive out in the country and get alone and get quiet and and listen for God and to pray and to look inside my own life. Jesus often went to the mountain. Uh, he went to pray, he went to rest. It's interesting, this is similar to Moses. When Moses was called up on the mountain of God, do you remember that? And God gave him the Ten Commandments. He was going to give him the law and Moses would come back down to speak to the people. This is similar to that. Jesus would go to the mountains he would pray to his father. He would come back down and give the words of God. How many of you have ever said, I had a mountaintop experience before? That's some of those times where you know that God was working, moving, speaking, uh, dealing with your heart. And those are wonderful times. Unfortunately, what usually uh, immediately follows a mountaintop experience? A valley experience. We go from on Mount Carmel, like Elijah, where he stands mightily with God, and he stands against 850 of the false prophets of God, and he makes a tremendous, courageous stand for Almighty God, and then instantly a woman puts a price on his head, and he runs clear across the country and wondering what's going to happen. You and I are the same. Well, this was a mountaintop experience. They're frequently mentioned in Matthew. Jesus was taken up on a mountain by Satan to tempt him. Uh, Peter, James, and John were allowed to go on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus met with Moses and Elijah. And then he met with his disciples and gave them the Great Commission. I wanted you to see something here, though. It says he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, I'm the one tonight, the privilege of coming to share God's word. I was sitting down, but now I'm standing up. That's not the way Jewish tradition did that. In fact, if you go to the Temple Mount here today, you will see white Walmart chairs all over the Temple Mount, and there will be people sitting in those chairs teaching a group, five, six, ten people. The rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, their tradition was to sit down to teach. And it's interesting, even in uh, um, universities today, someone is, is called the head or the chair of the department. And that is the connotation that they sat down to teach. And they were uh, the one of authority that would be listened to. So it said, he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he began to teach them. The Bible teaches us that when Jesus returned to heaven, where did he go? He went to be seated at the right hand of his Father. 
I was studying not long ago in the book of Acts and reading about the life of Stephen. Uh, I used to say the right stuff. You remember that movie about the astronauts called The Right Stuff? Well, Stephen had the right stuff. And the scripture teaches us that when Jesus ascended back to heaven, after he's died on the cross, been placed in the grave, been resurrected, met with over 500 people, given the disciples the great commission, they watched him ascend back into the clouds, back into heaven. The Bible says he was seated at the right hand, the side of honor of God the Father. As I was studying Stephen's sermon in the book of Acts, which is a long history lesson, we know what happens. He became the first Christian martyr and the Jewish people took up stones to, steal key, uh, to kill Stephen for doing nothing other than I'm doing here tonight. As he was being stoned to death, uh, Peter looked up and it said he saw like the angels ascending and descending. He saw a, a glimpse of heaven and they just threw the rocks harder. But before he died, he prayed like Jesus. Father, lay not this sin to their charge. Don't hold them guilty. Jesus prayed from Calvary. Father, forgive them for they, they don't know what they're doing. And then he fell asleep. I've studied that many, many times in my life. But in that passage where it talks about when he was given a heavenly vision to see Jesus and the Father in heaven before he died, that in that vision it says Jesus was standing. And I've always thought about that. Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. But you know what I believe took place then? When something honorable takes place, when someone worthy of honor comes into our presence, what do we do? We stand up. And Stephen was giving his life for Jesus, for the gospel. And I believe our Lord and Savior stood up. Probably did this. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Jesus sat down to teach his disciples and he began to teach them a beatitude. If you look up the word beatitude, it just means a blessing. It means to be happy in the Lord. You're doing something well, God's pleased with you, and he blesses you. Uh, right now, as I pray for you guys, I pray for you all the time. I pray for all the rest of the church. I pray for my family. Oftentimes, I wake up in the middle of the night and I begin to pray, and, and I pray, Lord, would you please bless these people? Would you bless them? I'm asking for a beatitude. I'm asking for a happiness in the Lord because God is pleased with all of our lives. Verse 3 says, beginning of the list, blessed, we say blessed, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy in the Lord, God's favor is upon them, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Greek word for uh, that is makarios, makarios, and it just, uh, as I said, simply means happy in the Lord. But this poor in spirit means humble. It means humble. It uses the word poor like somebody's out of money, but it is like an empty spirit. It is a, a spirit of humility. As Corey mentioned last week, and I've already mentioned to you, this is an upending of the way the Jews would be thinking right now. If you talk to a Jewish leader of that day and said, isn't it great that God wants you to be humble? They are not going to agree with you. 
They believe that they are the chosen people of God and they're going to be lifted up in pride and they don't honor humility at all. What about the world that we live in today? Have some things turned upended? Have they, have they become upside down? Uh, it used to be that humility was a virtue that was honored greatly. And now today, it is you push your way through. You, you do everything, no matter who you have to step on to get uh, ahead in business. It's, it was not how you play the game. It's whether you win or lose now, and you win at any cost. There's not humility. We honor people who are very prideful today who lift themselves up and don't count others better than themselves, much like the Jewish people of the day. Jesus came along and said, I'm going to tell you, you want to be blessed, you want to be poor in spirit because they're going to have the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Jews should have recognized this. The psalmist said, this poor man called or cried and the Lord heard him and he saved him out of all of his troubles. That should have resonated with the Jews, but the Jews, thinking that they are the, uh, the elite of the religious leaders of God, would not have thought this a virtue. You need to be poor in spirit. That would not have been their attitude. They would have wanted to be proud. They would have wanted to be assertive and not humble. Peter comes along later and writes in his letters, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. You want a theological truth? Every one of us in this room are going to be humbled. We will either do it ourselves or God will do it for us. Even the unbeliever that mocks and rejects Christ, the scripture says, one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. I had a friend this week talk to me and they were praying for people uh, in their family that weren't saved and they were talking about people that, oh, they wanted them to be saved before they died because heaven's real and hell's real. And they were just broken hearted because these people rejected Jesus every time that they talked to him. Well, don't ever give up. Don't ever stop praying. I've been with hundreds of people when their last breath was taken and you never know what takes place there. I've had many of them that all I could say was, do you love Jesus? Do you believe in him? And all they could say, the last words were, yes. So don't, don't ever give up. But Peter said, humble yourself. And then unfortunately, many people raise a hand against God and they will not humble themselves. Oh, please continue to pray for those that might be lost. Uh, there actually is a threefold structure in these Beatitudes I want to mention right here. There's a blessing. Blessed are they. There's an attribute, poor in spirit, and there's a reward, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Three different things in all of these, these Beatitudes. <clears throat> the Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, religious rulers would come to give money. And uh, if you read commentaries, they talk about it would be like a, a large brass or metal container so that when they threw their coins in there, they would rattle off of the, the uh, metal container and it sounded like they gave a lot of money. You remember the time Jesus talked about the widow woman 
And all of these religious rich people were giving all this money. And oh, they could, you could just see them. It's kind of like today when somebody uh, donates something and they write a check and the check's about this big because they want to send that all around the world on television. You know, they want to they tell you what, you've, what they're doing. Uh, this widow woman came along and put in two mites and Jesus stopped the crowd. And he said, I tell you, Many of these people have put in money into this offering, but I tell you, this woman has put in more than all of them. We look at that and we honor that. That's cool. That is Jesus saying that individual poor woman gave all that she had, and that is something that we lift up and say that is, that is honorable. The Jews would not have. They got angry. <coughs> How dare this rabbi belittle all these that are giving much into the treasury of the house of God. <coughs> so you see the difference there? This is not going to be the most popular message for the, the Pharisees, Sadducees. Preach on Jesus. It's going to be a rebuke to them. That's not the way we look at it. Blessed are those, verse 4, who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This morning is talking about a sorrow for sin. Uh, we look around us in our world today, and it is, it's frightening. It is sad in many cases. Right now, um, I've got a nephew, and another friend here in the church has a person that is deployed to Poland right on the edge where there's a possible invasion to take place. My wife, Holly, and I, in just a few weeks, are supposed to be 500 miles from the Ukrainian border. So we live in a world where things are up in the air and things are not safe and we don't know. We don't have certainty of the things around us. But also, we look at our own lives and I tell you, uh, many of the tears that I've cried have been because of my sin. Because I know Jesus died on Calvary because... I'm a sinner. And Jesus says here, blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those that have a deep regret for their own sinfulness. That old hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We're sinners, we're broken, we're fallen. We don't have to stay that way. Christ can make a difference, but we never need to forget the fact that Apart from Christ, we can do nothing good. He is our Savior. His goodness is running after us, we sang a few moments ago. The Old Testament, Israel had gotten so corrupt, God told a man to send throughout all of Israel a man with an inkhorn. It would be like us going around to write down the names of people that are acted a certain way. And this man had an inkhorn. And he said, you write down every person in Israel, listen closely, that sighs for the abominations that are going on. Have you watched the news lately? And you go, a man walked out the other day with a little baby in his arms, sat her down on the front porch, backed up, and the police were there. He backed up. The police rushed into there and there was a gun in there and just began 
killing the policeman as they walked in there, stepping over that little baby. What do we do? God, how could things get so bad? How could it be so, how could mankind do that to other mankind? That's what God was looking for. And he said, you mark everybody in Israel that is sad for what's going on. The Jews would not have called that good. Jesus says it is. Verse 5. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. The Bible says Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. I've seen the movie, and it was Charlton Heston. He's a big guy. He looked pretty tough. Meekness is not weakness. I know you've heard that thousands of times. Meekness is a gentleness that is self-control or under the control of the Holy Spirit that's not quickly angered. It's not someone that walks in their own will. Satan can take many of us men out in a few seconds. You know how? Just get us mad. Just get a man mad and you can make him do anything. And many men have a problem with anger. The scripture says Has no, have no company with an angry man because it's a dangerous thing um, an angry man can be manipulated. But a meek man is gentle. Did you know the Bible says someone that has control over their spirit, meekness, is mightier than someone who takes a city? Someone who is un, has the control of their spirit, man or woman, that is under the control of God's spirit and they are meek and gentle is stronger than a military leader that would come in and conquer a whole city. Jesus, I believe, was the meekest person that ever lived and yet he was the strongest person that ever lived. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, let me read you a verse. But we, the apostles, proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. I don't think there's anything more beautiful than watching a mama with a little baby. And that's why I've invited, you bring the babies in here. Yeah, they do not bother me. I love to hear the sound of those babies. Now you bring an eight-year-old in, uh, eight in here that's throwing a fit, you need to take them out and take care of them. But those babies, Paul said, we, the apostles, we're gentle like a mama with a nursing baby. That doesn't sound too cool, does it? The Jews wouldn't have thought so either. And yet, Jesus is saying, get used to different. Jesus is saying, that's not the way the Messiah is going to be. You got your picture of Messiah, but I tell you, this is the way you ought to be. Blessed are the poor in spirit, there's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those that are sorry for what's taking place in this world, there's going to be a day when that sorrow is gone. When I stand at 2 o'clock in the, the graveside, Lord willing, tomorrow, I'm going to be able to say, this man loved his Lord and Savior. He's safe, he's home, and he's in a place where there's no more sickness, there's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. There's no more disease. There's no more crying. There's no more sin. I'm kind of jealous. How about you? Verse 5, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. The Jews were harsh, domineering. They would not have honored meekness. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger 
and thirst for righteousness. What have you seen so far in every one of these? Blessed are the poor in spirit, that's them. Blessed are those who mourn, those. Blessed are the gentle, that's those. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Keep watching. For they shall be filled. You know what kind of person this is? This is the kind of person that wants to do right. I've been blessed with two children, grown children. They're married now, one grandson. Uh, the other day, got the cutest little video. We love our videos, but his mom had run the bath water. And uh, he loves his bath time, as a lot of babies do. And he had run ahead of her. And when she got in there, all the little toys are in the bathtub. And he didn't take his clothes off. So he's sitting in there with all the clothes. My son said that diaper weighed 15 pounds when he got it off of and he is looking, I've got the cutest little picture of him looking up at his mama like, is there something wrong? <laughs> he was ready for his bath and he just skipped a little step or two getting ready for that. But they're teaching that little boy to say, thank you. I want to tell you, that melts my heart. They're teaching him to do right. And here Jesus says, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they want to do right. They want it like their own food. They get hungry. They, they, they are applying themselves. They're praying. They want to do what is right. He said, I tell you what, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, that desire to be right, they're going to be satisfied. God says, I'm going to bless them because they want to do the right thing. My daughter one time when, in middle school, she came home and she said, Dad, all my, all my friends are saying that I shouldn't believe what I do about what the Bible says, and it was a particular area. And I said, Honey, you love those friends of yours. You pray for them. Be nice to them. Don't be ugly to them. You may have to be by yourself some, but you do not compromise God's Word. You stand strong for what you know is true. We've got a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you know what's beautiful? When you do that, teach your young people. You do it in your life. It's a beautiful day. When those who might separate from you for a little while, you see them start coming back. And you hear those words, you know what, I sure am sorry. I'm sorry that I didn't stand with you at that time. And if it happens again, I'll be standing there with you. And that's a good day. The scripture says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. Now, this would have been foreign to the Jews because a Jew believed that because they were born a Jew, they were automatically right with God. Get that in your heart. Hold on to it. If you're a Jew, we're already right with God, so you don't have to talk to us about repentance. We don't have to be sorry for our sins. We're a Jew. This would have been foreign to what they believed. And Jesus said, no, you need to desire hunger and thirst after righteousness, and God will make you satisfied. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful. Jesus was going to teach them, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I've got a loyal, loyal friend, and one of his attributes that I love so much about him is he's forgiving. He's forgiving, ready to say, ah, don't worry about it, forget about it. Blessed are those, though merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Uh, you've probably seen something in your Christian life. You cannot give God. There's no way that you're going to be able to do 
more goodness than God does. And he said here, those that show mercy are going to be able to receive mercy. Foreign to the Jews, they would have been unforgiving. They would have been harsh. They would have been demanding. They don't want to show mercy. And yet Jesus said, no, I tell you, this is the attitude that you ought to have. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. The psalmist said, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord but he that hath clean hands and a pure heart? Psalm 51, you remember David, created me a clean heart. The desire to be pure in heart. For they shall see God. God's going to say, no, you bring them into my presence. These people have desired to be pure, to be clean. I remember as an eight-year-old boy having told a lie in church, and people say, oh, that's just a little thing. It wasn't a little thing to me. God used it to bring me to salvation. And when I cried those tears of repentance and asked him to forgive me, I felt the burden of my sins lifted and I was clean. I was clean. Can you imagine that woman at the well? She's coming at noon because she couldn't come with the rest of the people. She's an outcast. She's had five husbands before, and now she's living with somebody. She's not married. She's outcast. She's a woman in a society that looked down and oppressed women. She's an outcast. She's a Samaritan. That is a half-breed person, a mixture of people that were in the land and Jewish people. She has everything that the world would say the least likely. And Jesus comes to her and says, give me a drink of water. She was blown away that this Jewish man was going to talk to her because he's a man, he's a Jew, and she's going to, he's going to drink out of the same cup I'm drinking out of. Did you know, all you ladies, we love you so much, Valentine's Day, a long time before whoever Valentine or Valentino or I don't know who, what, what uh, that is named after, but a long time before him, there's a, somebody that loved you more than anyone else, and his name's Jesus. And all through the Scripture, Jesus elevated women. He lifted them up. And when that woman at the well believed in Jesus, go call your husband. I don't have a husband. That's right. You've had five and you got one now that's not your husband. Jesus knew all about her life, just like he knows about our life too. And she went back to her hometown and said, come here a man who's told me all that I ever did. Do you think that woman felt clean for the first time in her life? She got some living water and it washed her from the inside out. That's what the Beatitudes are all about. Blessed are the peacemakers, verse 9, for they shall be called the sons of God. God loves reconciliation. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says his blood made peace with God. He is the mediator between God and man. And because of his blood that he shed, you and I can have peace. People who have known that peace from Christ want the peace of Christ for other people. They shall be called the sons of God. Verse 10, blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom uh, of heaven. Timothy said, Paul writing to him said, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Yours may be in a total different way than someone else, but in our lives, you and I will have to take a stand and there will be those that will oppose us. 
Right now, we live a few hundred uh, miles from a country that has chosen to make it illegal to speak in the name of Christ. Right now in Canada, you can be put in prison for uh, proclaiming Christ in certain settings. It's trying to come right here. It's trying to come right here, actually, to Denton, Texas, with some of the ordinances that they're trying to pass right now. I don't know what's ahead, but Jesus said, I tell you, if you are persecuted for my sake, he's not talking about uh, getting in trouble because you don't pay your bills, you don't, you don't live uh, like a good citizen should. He's talking about you get persecuted for doing right. Blessed are you. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 11, there's a shift. Blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. And then he says, blessed are you. Now it's a personal pronoun that looks right. And Paul is, uh, Jesus is drawing the people in. I'm talking to you. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. God gives the ability to rejoice even when the bad guys are against you. That's an amazing, amazing thing. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. That's an amazing thing. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice even in the hard times. That's an amazing thing. Paul goes on to write I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us if I were able to ask Kenneth Harper right now Kenneth all the bad stuff you went through in Korea and the rest of the place uh, uh, that you fought all of that bad stuff how is it now I believe he would say oh I tell you all those things are light afflictions in comparison to where I am right now. I want to close with walking you through something real quickly. I told you this is not an evangelistic message. We've looked at eight different blessed are those and finally blessed are you. But I want to ask you about when you first got saved. Did this not happen? Watch this. The first one was, blessed are the poor in spirit, humility. When we come to Jesus, we come humbly, don't we? There's nobody I know that got saved that went to church, they came forward, and they said, okay, Jesus, uh, you've been waiting on me a long time. I'm ready to get saved, and you can get uh, started with the program now because I'm a Christian. We don't come that way, do we? We come humbly. That was the first one. Blessed are those that mourn for their own sin. That's how we come to Christ. We are broken because we've, we've disappointed God and we're, we found out that we are a broken, sinful, natured person and we need Him. Number three, we don't come pridefully, we come gently. Like a little child. I remember a little child I always gave an invitation where I preached before and those little children would walk down the aisle and as they prayed to receive Jesus in their heart, their tears would hit my boots. I wore boots all the time back then. And I thought how precious those tears are to God because those little hearts are gentle and they're humble before Him. 
We come humbly. We come mourning our sin. We come gently as we approach the Lord. We come hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I want to be changed. I'm a sinner, but I need something to change me. We come begging for mercy. And we come desiring to be pure in heart. Isn't that amazing? That's the way you and I got saved too. Sitting in the Beatitudes. So I just want to encourage you. I hope that you have a great week in the Lord. I hope uh, the, the last of that applies to about our salvation. We receive the peace of God. We want to be peacemakers after that. And that if we do get persecuted, we know that God's bigger. And Jesus will be with us. For Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. The Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. May God let this be my attitude. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for these words. What an upending it must have been for these Pharisees religious rulers who thought they had it all together. I thank you, Father, that Jesus, as he came and taught the, the truths of the kingdom, that it was like a mirror showing inside of a person's life, and it showed them how far we were away from you, a holy and righteous God, and yet it didn't, it didn't just reveal the sins of mankind and, and show all their, fa their failures, shortcomings, and how far away from God there was always this hope that humble yourself and seek peace and seek righteousness with hungering and thirsting because God wants to do a work. He can fix that. You may be here tonight and you may say, Mike, you don't know where I've been or what I've done. You talk about having peace with God. It's been so long to be pure before God or to be clean before God. You don't know what I've done. Well, you're right, I don't, but God does. And there's nothing in this book that he tells us, you know, that's so ugly, that's so clean that I can't fix. Jesus can fix it. He can give you this attitude. He can do this work in your life. And it sure would be a privilege for us to pray with you tonight. Father, thank you for the Sermon on the Mount, life in the kingdom, and may we look forward to coming to the Mount again next Sunday evening. In Jesus' name, amen.